It's time, Fort Wayne. Your sports, your station. It's, it's the sports, sports Rush with Brett Rush. Covering all the topics that hit a nerve here in the Summit City. Only on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Now here's your host, Brett Rump. The greatest, most interesting, most important person of all Here we go into a sports weekend. Buckle up, get ready for it. It is the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix from 4 to 6. I am Brett Rump along with Adam Lundy, our producer. Packed show, and then we turn it over to Michael McIntyre, who's got the call of high school basketball presented by Indiana Physical Therapy tonight. Live from Northrop, Snyder, Northrop, the rivalry. Doesn't get much more SAC rivalry than that. Try to build up the drama for tonight. Tune in. It's high school basketball on your home for the best high school sports right here at 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. And, of course, after the game, games... Because it's boy girls followed by boys, we've got the Parkview Sports Medicine High School Basketball Post Game Show live from the Pine Valley Pizza Hut. And we'll have the crew together with Adam Lundy, Michael McIntyre, and Dute, Eric Dute, Dute Kevich. Giving you the scores, the analysis, coaches' interviews, a whole lot more with the Parkview Sports Medicine High School Basketball Post Game Show. So when you leave games tonight, you'll be able to get caught up on everything happening in Northeast Indiana uh, and uh, that all happens starting at about 5.55. We will step aside just a couple of minutes early so that Michael McIntyre has a chance to kind of test the vocal cords before he has to go into the full call for two games back-to-back. Uh, but he is uh, going to be out at Northrop tonight, and Snyder-Northrop ought to be a heck of a girls game to get that doubleheader started. Looking forward to it. Oh, yeah. I'll be locked in. I'll be locked in, too. Uh, as I will be doing some prep for tomorrow's game. Mastodons right back at it against Milwaukee. You know, the best thing happened last night that could have happened for the Mastodons. What was that? One, Milwaukee won. Yeah. Boys want the team to come in having a win because then they kind of feel like, hey, you know, you always want to split on the road. We got our win regardless of what happens now, right? Right. Now, if you get beat on the road, nobody wants to go on the road for two games, especially with six-hour, eight-hour, nine-hour drives like they have on the bus. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, and feel like you wasted an entire weekend of your life with two losses. So the fact that they got the win is one thing. But the other thing that was a really good part of that is that Milwaukee had to go overtime to beat Cleveland State. Oh. So they had to play some bonus basketball, a little extra basketball, a little extra. A little more gas out of the tank. Oh, I like that. That's that's a good one. You like that. A little more gas out of the tank. A little more wear and tear on the body. There you and go. And so they will... Have a tip at 1 o'clock tomorrow out at the Allen County War Memorial Coliseum. But it is a good Milwaukee team regardless. They uh, they can put up some points. They've got uh, multiple offensive weapons and uh, are getting really solid coaching. I mean, when you go on the road and you win back-to-back in the Horizon League like they did, going into Detroit Mercy, who... 
Last year was undefeated at home until the very last game of the regular season when the Mastodons went up there and beat them, and it gave the Mastodons a share of the Horizon League championship. That was the only loss that Detroit Mercy had at home all year last year. And they've not had a loss since that game against the Mastodons until last Saturday. Yeah. New Year's Eve, when Milwaukee paid a visit on Detroit Mercy up at Callahan <laughs> Hall on Dick Vital Court. And Milwaukee snagged a win against Milwaukee, against uh, Detroit Mercy. So uh, this is a team that's now won two straight Horizon League road games. Yeah. Now, one thing, uh, if you look at the numbers, the Mastodons have beaten Milwaukee all four times they've been Horizon League members over the last two seasons. And so the Mastodons perfect against Milwaukee so far. Last year, Milwaukee had Patrick Baldwin Jr., who was uh, considered going into the season a lottery pick, but then he didn't play much last year. When he did play, he didn't play all that effectively. But uh, but still, you know, guarding a 6'10 guy, 6'9, 6'10 on the perimeter, always a challenge for a team that's a mid-major. But but after the season was over, not only is Patrick Baldwin Jr. gone to the pro ranks, but his father... Uh, there was the coach gone as well. And so Milwaukee's got a new coach that's taken over, mm-hmm. and uh, they will be a very formidable foe. They are, I believe, if I am not mistaken, and again, I haven't completed my full prep, but I think they are like 10-5 and five or 10-6 and six so far this season. So they've uh, they've played well. 10-5. and five. Okay, see? Not bad. You Sometimes right you don't, there? You don't have to do the prep. You already know. <laughs> Uh, but the tip at 1 o'clock, hope everybody makes out the Coliseum to, uh, tomorrow for the Dons in Milwaukee. We'll be on the air at 1245 with the pregame show. Justin, Kenny, and I on the call of the Bastodons, Milwaukee Panthers tomorrow. And then uh, it's an NFL Saturday. Yeah, it's a whole lot going on. Chiefs versus the Raiders will be uh, following the Mastodons-Milwaukee game. Four o'clock, and then at eight o'clock, you've got the Titans and the Jaguars playing for the championship of the AFC South. That will be a, a battle. It's almost like the playoffs are beginning now for the Titans and the Jaguars. Yeah, and then uh, and then on Sunday, we've got Colts football. Woo! Yeah, <laughs> that's about as excited as I, as I could muster there against the Texans. It's uh, don't miss a minute of the excitement. From Lucas Oil Stadium, I can't. I mean, I can't even fake giving a promo for I, that game. I, I mean, like I said, you and I are just both hoping that it ends in a tie to wrap up the season, don't we? I I called it, man. I said <laughs> this would be the most fitting end to the season for both these teams if they end it the way they started it, way back in Week One, the 2020 tie. Uh, I think it would be perfect if both teams end up tied at ten. Which, because I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of points. I would be surprised if either team gets to 20 this time around. Yeah. Four six eight six two is Parkview Sports Medicine text line. Tell you what. Four six eight six two. I think if Colts do get to 20 points, I think they'll win the game this time. Uh, well, they've had a pretty good record when they've scored 20. Exactly. Um, last night, Oilermakers come through with a huge road win. Oh, man. I believe, and I wonder who will be the first listener to call me out, because I do believe I said that (laughs) Purdue didn't have a shot to win in Columbus. You did say that. And then they made a shot. And it was Fletcher Lawyer 
that did it. And let's go ahead and hear what that moment sounded like on the Purdue Houston Radio Mason Network. bounces on the wing to Lawyer. Lawyer, three from the far left wing. is good! It is good! And Purdue has the lead! The clock stops with 10.5 to play. Purdue leading 71-69. Ohio State the ball. Ohio State will take a timeout with 6.4 remaining. That's the winner, and it's Fletcher Lawyer again. Yeah. Almost identical to the shot that he hit against Rutgers, which turned out to not be a game winner because Rutgers came back and scored. But, man, talk about he's really showing he has the clutch gene. Uh, Well, that's what you call it. Yeah. Uh, Or you could call it a male body part, but uh, whatever (laughs) it might be, Fletcher Lawyer showed uh, some pretty big courage for a freshman to step up and hit another big three-pointer. And uh, and that was the way the play was designed. Absolutely. You knew they were going to have to, you know. Inside they, to Edie, yeah. put your best shooter on the same side, on the ball side, and force Ohio State to make a decision. Do you leave the shooter to go double on Edie, or do you trust man-to-man, one-on-one against the giant of college basketball? And uh, Ohio State made the decision to force down and push down against Edie. Yeah. Left lawyer open and Drano. That was awesome. And it was like the identical spot on the floor. It was, yeah. I mean, it couldn't have been much different. If you looked at the two plays side by side, they had to look very similar. Might be a spot. But a uh, huge shot for Fletcher, lawyer, and a big road win. I, t- I tell you, it is tough to win on the road. And, and the thing that makes it even tougher is that Purdue got down early in that game. Yeah. And to be able to find the toughness mentally, physically, to be able to come back from an early road deficit against a really good opponent, a nationally ranked opponent in Ohio State, and to be able to find a way to come back. And for Fletcher Lawyer, what's interesting, it's kind of a personal story for Fletcher Lawyer because he did not start the second half. Matt Painter made a coaching decision, and this is, again, why Matt Painter is so underrated as a coach. He, 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 would you put him top five? Where would you put Matt Painter? If we said top five, top 10, top 20, where would you put Matt Painter as far as a college basketball coach? Because this guy takes talent that might not be the highest recruited talent as far as the recruiting ratings and stuff, mm-hmm. but he finds guys that are going to fit his system. They're going to play his, his type of basketball. They're going to be good teammates that are going to be true boilermakers. And he molds them into something special. And, He's continued to do it. He's continued to bring in the big man. It's worked with their system. They put a big man down by the basket, and they put shooters around him. He's continued to coach with the philosophy. You don't turn the ball over, so it gives you the added possessions, and that makes differences in ball games. And last night, Purdue actually did turn it over 14 times, which is a very high number for Purdue, and it was something that Matt Painter wasn't all too pleased about either. Uh, in fact, Fletcher Lawyer... Uh, in that first first half, I don't know if he had all of his turnovers. He had four turnovers in the game, but I think they all came in the first half. I know three of them were like very early in the ball game when uh, Ohio State built their early lead. And then uh, Lawyer uh, was struggling with his shot there in the first half. So Matt Painter decided to sit him to start the second half to send a message that that type of play isn't going to be acceptable here. And that if you're not going to play well, someone else will play those minutes. And uh, I I love the decision by Matt Painter because not only did he get, as he said, it became a double win, which often it can be a double loss. 
a double win is when the guy that replaces you in that lineup position plays better than you did. And David Jenkins Jr. came out and played really well. But also you want the guy that you're benching that you're really sending the message to to respond and come back and play better than they did before they got benched. And Fletcher Lawyer obviously did that because he ended up winning the game with a (laughs) three-pointer. So it was a win-win. Yeah. Now, a lot of times you can make those kind of decisions. And uh, and I, I think if you're probably not quite as confident a coach as Matt Painter is, maybe you're concerned about making that decision because you're worried about how the players are going to respond. Mm-hmm. Hey, Matt Painter, he recruits tough kids who are hard on themselves. They're critical of themselves. Fletcher Lawyer was perfect after the game saying, hey, I had to bench me too the way I played. It was probably my worst half of college basketball so far. Yeah, yeah, I think he said in an interview, the, the interviewer said you basically couldn't hit the broad side of a barn the first half, and he, he agreed with him and, you know, was said, yeah, I, I was not good. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, it just goes to show the, the mentality that you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, uh, they all accept their roles. They understand their roles. I mean, Jenkins... You know, here's a guy who came into South Dakota State as a freshman, and he was one of the, the top recruits that South Dakota State brought in, and he was kind of a go-to guy. Man, he took over. He'd put up shots. Some of them wouldn't be great shots, but he was launching, and he was he was a big-time scorer for South Dakota State. And uh, he rode all of that momentum, and when his coach got the opportunity at UNLV, Jenkins followed him. Went out to UNLV, became a running rebel. And, uh, you know, after four years of college basketball, he very easily could have said, uh, you know, when he came to Purdue, I either play or I'm not coming. And he was never given that assurance. In fact, I saw a quote from Caleb first when someone asked him, how is Coach Paint different now that you play for him than he was when he recruited you? And first said, there is no difference. He's exactly the same. Same messaging. uh, You know, same person. There's no difference. You don't get a show and get a a bunch of promises that aren't kept once you get here. And and so Jenkins could have been one of those guys that thought, hey, I'm going to put myself in the portal. I'm going to let everybody come after me. And I'm going to tell them what I want because I'm the one with the leverage. And Matt Painter has said it before. If you come into Purdue, you become a Boilermaker. The Boilermakers don't become you. And so you saw David Jenkins uh, respond. He's got very few minutes. He could be pouting. He could be discouraged. No, but he came in and and, and contributed. And Fletcher Lawyer responded to being put on the bench and delivered when the Boilermakers need somebody to needed somebody to deliver. And the Boilermakers overcame those 14 turnovers because they were, again, monsters on the glass on the offensive rebounding. They had 16 offensive rebounds to nine for Ohio State. And that gives you, basically, it makes up, because if you figure the difference, it makes up seven possessions, right? 16 offensive rebounds to nine offensive rebounds. That's seven added possessions because of the extra offensive rebounds. Well, look at turnovers. What were turnovers? 14 for Purdue, seven for Ohio State. What's the difference in possessions? Seven. So Purdue was able to use rebounding to overcome their deficiency in taking care of the basketball. And Purdue ends up with 13 three-pointers to Ohio State six. That's a lot to overcome. Yeah. 13, yeah. 
I mean, in three-pointers, that means Purdue hit seven more three-pointers. They had a 21-point advantage on just the three-point shot. Yep. Takes a lot of twos to make yeah, up for 21 points. Surprising it was, you know, close. Takes a lot of trips to the free-throw line to make up for 21 points. Yeah. Puts a lot of pressure on the other team. Remember when Peyton Manning was the quarterback of the Colts? Vaguely. And, yeah, I know. <laughs> You're so young. Uh, but... But there was a certain pressure on the other team because every time they took the field, they felt like if we don't score in the 30s, we're not going to have a chance to win this game because mm-hmm. you weren't sure you could, even if you'd played well against Peyton, that you could keep the Colts from putting up 30 points. Right. And it's, you know, it's kind of the same thing um, in this situation. And so um, a lot to overcome when they hit 13 threes, 21 point uh, advantage in the three point line. Uh, it's too much for Ohio State. 46862 is Parkview Sports Medicine text line. Give us your comments. Indiana. Ooh. 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 Well, it depends on what part of the game. If you talk about the first part of the game, we go, wow. Yeah. And then, ooh. And then, oh, no. And then, ooh. And then. And then, hey, we might have bounced back and get this game. And then, ooh. Yeah. You know, it was one of those games where. Even though Indiana blew the big lead, they actually had a second chance to win and then failed in that late in the game. But they were up four, right? Was it four or six? I think it was six. And then they couldn't hold on to that. Nope. Again, a soft team has trouble winning on the road. A tough team gets the job done. What are we seeing between Purdue and Indiana? Toughness. Softness. We'll talk about Indiana a little bit more coming up after the break. Great news today involving Damar Hamlin. We've been hoping that we could continue to see progress and uh, hope and and encouragement that things are going to be all right for Damar Hamlin. And this morning, what a a great scene. He got a chance to FaceTime. He was awake. He was... He was communicating with teammates and eventually was put onto a Zoom call with the entire team at a meeting this morning mm-hmm. before the Bills went out for practice. And he had a chance to communicate to his entire team. Uh, just great news. Absolutely. I mean, couldn't have better news that his uh, there's no more breathing apparatus. He is mm-hmm. breathing completely on his own. He's communicating. He seems to... Um, Mentally be be fine at this point. So uh, really good news for DeMar Hamlin. And it seems like, boy, it's hard to believe it's only been five days since that happened. Because what a five days it has been to consider. You know, we talked about it on a Monday night. And then uh, Tuesday, still not much word. Wednesday, hopeful of hearing something. And we started to get a little bit of information out from the family and family friends. Yesterday, finally heard from the doctors, and it seems like they started to express some optimism about his progress. And then today, I think we got the exclamation point when you know that he was able to communicate with his team. And somebody said, I'll bet my house on the bills for Sunday. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you have to imagine they'll be pretty fired up knowing that he's... What a bounce, and they're going to be playing kind of for him and Mm -hmm. for their fallen comrade. And I mean... Uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be difficult. It's the Patriots, right? Mm-hmm. Bills and Patriots. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's going to be a little tough, I think for Bill Belichick and company. Yeah, definitely a little extra fire in the, uh, 
Bill's hearts. I wish uh, Indiana had a little extra fire last night. They <laughs> came out fine, and Iowa just did not look ready for what Indiana threw at them early. But uh, but then Iowa gets things going. And, you know, again, you've got a t- an Iowa team that takes on the personality of their coach, like him or, or don't, not. Uh, Fran McCaffrey's a pretty fiery guy, and uh, Iowa played with a little bit of fire and a little bit of emotion, and Indiana – Again, got caught on their heels, and it, it reminds you of some of those spurts we've seen with the Kansas game, the Arizona game, that when Indiana gets backed up, they soften up, and they, they just don't seem to have those yeah. type of guys that say, we need a play here, and I'm going to make it. And a couple of guys tried, and down the stretch, I started to question some of the shot selection, but uh, Iowa ended up with the lead and uh, overcame a 21-point early deficit. Now, the deficit was really early in the game. and mm-hmm. that's, I mean, if you're going to go down by 21, you want it to be as early as possible. Yeah. So you got the whole game to come back. But still. But I even thought late in the first half, I almost thought about tweeting this, and I thought, no, these are the kind of tweets that come back to haunt me. Huh. Um, but I, I was thinking to myself, we all know how this story is going to end, right? I mean, you could just see that oh, Iowa was picking up the momentum that uh, Indiana was starting to to get a little bit nervous and not handle things all that well. And uh, eventually, Iowa gets the win. But a lot of weird things happened in this game. Yeah, it was uh, just kind of, I don't even know the word to describe it. Well, from the 21-point lead early and blowing that to, um, you know, all of a sudden the swing, you get the six-point lead, and mm-hmm. then you give that back up. Right. And then the whole sideline antics, which I don't get. What is wrong? I mean, is there no anger management classes available in Iowa City? Because Fran McCaffrey has been like this for a long time. And I would think his bosses at Iowa would be tired of it. I mean, it seems like we see this side of Fran McCaffrey three, mm-hmm. four times every year. At least. Yeah. He's a he's a fiery guy, that's for sure. A, a fiery guy, and he blows up over what seemingly was nothing. And mm-hmm. to me, last night, it was not something to be jumping all over the place about. Uh, but it led to quite a strange series of events with a uh, Fran McCaffrey upset because one of the officials had a conversation with an Indiana assistant. Now, generally, that's not going to happen. The referees are going to communicate with the head coach and pretty much the head coach only. So Fran McCaffrey didn't like the fact that an Indiana assistant coach was getting a chance to talk to an official. So he marches down the court onto Indiana's side of the so-called 50. The 50-yard line. The (laughs) 50-yard line, midfield. Uh, He marches onto Indiana's side of midcourt and proceeds to... Kind of get upset with both the official and especially Indiana assistant coach. He gets teed up for leaving his bench, basically, right? Mm -hmm. Which is appropriate. I mean, there's no other way to put it. I I don't care what the reason is. You're not justified to cross out of your coach's box and come all the way to Indiana's side of midcourt. It's a technical. And the official... Gave him a T. Then the officials discussed it. And what are they saying in the huddle? That's Fran McCaffrey. Sometimes you just got (laughs) to turn your cheek. 
because they took the T away. Yeah. And I, I mean, whether the official felt he was in the wrong for communicating with an assistant coach, therefore he wasn't going to penalize Fran McCaffrey. I, I, it's still not handled properly by Fran McCaffrey, and he put himself at rest to get a technical. He's done it before to lose games. He gets into late late game situations, and he cannot control his emotions. And I've seen this multiple times, and last night was another example of it. But uh, it didn't go over too well with Mike Woodson. In fact, after the uh, after the game, Mike Woodson addressed the whole situation with Fran McCaffrey. I, I'm not even I'm not even going to comment on that because that's that's is what it is, you know. And you can you can print that because again, when you can allow coaches to come across half court into your your space, that's what it is. The question I wanted to ask you about that, Mike, was um, it looked like one of the officials called the technical foul. He did call the tech and he pulled it back. Really, which was bull. <laughs> Guys should have been thrown out of the game. We know I, Mike Woodson's favorite word. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I'm i trying to figure out how we can get away with printing it. Uh, he said we could print it. We can't say it. Had to bleep it. But apparently he gave us permission that we can print it. So, uh, But Mike Woodson, not at all happy with the situation, called out Fran McCaffrey, called out the officials. And uh, I guess this means you mark the date on the calendar, February 28th, because Iowa pays a visit. To Indiana. Won't it be fun to have these two coaches on the sideline? Now, I will say this. Down the stretch, Mike Woodson, I think, showed his inexperience as a college coach. Because, you know, one of the things you do as a college coach, your use of timeouts, um, very important in the college game. But also, in the NBA game, it seems like you use timeouts only when you want to advance the basketball. At college, it's a little bit different. But... Here's the problem I've got is um, the NBA game, it's a lot of spacing and isolation. You try to find the mismatch and you let that player go one-on-one against a mismatch. But in the college game, it's not exactly that simple. In the NBA, I'm going to try to figure out how to get Tyrese Halliburton the ball, set a ball screen to force a switch, and then let Tyrese make the play. Yeah. And in college, it's not quite that simple. And I think Mike Woodson showed his inexperience with the college game by calling what I thought was more of an NBA play late in the contest. When he saw that Jalen Hutchfino was having a good game, he trusted that he could... Uh, beat his Iowa defender, and so he kind of created the type of play with isolation to get Jalen Hutchfino the ball in the position of the court where he thought Jalen Hutchfino could make a play, and Jalen Hutchfino went in and shot a layup into the side of the backboard. <laughs> uh, it, it wasn't a real good shot. I don't know if it was blocked or not, but it, to me it didn't look like it was blocked. It looked like he just got into a position where yeah. uh, the side of the backboard blocked it. Uh, if that's if there was a block, I've been there. <laughs> yeah, you've been there. <laughs> I don't think the speak for yourself. Of course, of course, I've never been. You've there. never hit the. Oh, back. of course not. See, I played so long ago, no one would know. No, no. I mean, we can't. I could. We say, can't confirm that. I could say I was putting up twenty a game, and no one would be able to. <laughs> we didn't even have stats back then, right? Um, <laughs> we actually did have it. We had a kid that was like a sophomore that that volunteered to do stats. 
and he had like handwritten sheets to do stats. We had no computer. You know, back then you didn't have all the computers and everything and the stat sheets. And so you're saying that there's physical evidence out there somewhere is what uh, you're saying. Well, if you find that paper, <laughs> it might be selling for 10 cents these days on eBay. Uh, no, seriously. Uh, but but it was to me, that was an NBA style play. And I'm like, why is it going? You, you know, get a two man game if you're going to do that. Get a clear out and get a two man game and include Trace Jackson Davis, because I just have a problem when Indiana clearly has a best player on the floor. That's Trace Jackson Davis. Right. And that the ball is not touched by Trace Jackson Davis on a key possession late in the contest. Mm hmm. You've got to find a way to get him a touch. What did Purdue do? Who got a touch? Yeah, they got it out to Lawyer and then the, and, and the E. And, and then back Lawyer, to lawyer yeah. right? Two-man game, found the guy they wanted to get a touch down in the post to force the defense to react and, and then, then get the open the open shot. Yeah. Not, not let's give it to Lawyer on the perimeter and let him drive. Or, or Braden Smith and let him attack from the top of the key. Or, uh, or contested three I, I or anything. I didn't like the play. And I didn't like the shot selection on a couple of late possessions. Trey Galloway launching that three. And yeah, it might have been late in the shot clock. I just didn't like the shot selection, the offense late in the game. Um, I, I think it, it could have been better coached down the stretch. But Indiana Falls to Iowa. 91-89 to was the final. Uh, Indiana, after scoring 50 in the first half, allows 51 to Iowa in the second half. We'll take a break because we've got to talk Purdue basketball. We've got a special guest joining us, Sam King from the Lafayette Journal and Courier, who covers the Purdue Boilermakers. And we'll talk about that exciting game last night at Ohio State when we return here on the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Coming up in our next hour, we'll be talking to Ken Sterling down in Indianapolis about the Hoosiers and the Indianapolis Colts finishing up the season against the Texans. Also, we've got to make some NFL picks. We've got to finish it off. We've uh, not had a great season, but maybe this week will be our best week. At least we will have to hope so, considering where we're at in the overall rankings. But we'll play NFL U pick them coming up before 6 o'clock. Let's talk more about Purdue basketball last night. A huge road win over the Ohio State Buckeyes in Columbus. Fletcher Lawyer, former Homestead product, the hero, had to talk about it for the Lafayette Courier and Journal and Courier. God, why do I have trouble with that? I mean, it's like I know it's J and C. Lafayette Journal and Courier, please welcome to the program for the first time, I believe, Sam King. Sam, good afternoon. Hello, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, I believe it is the first time with uh, to join our show, isn't it? That is correct. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you taking time out of your Friday to jump on with us. Wanted to talk a little bit about what we've seen with Purdue. Obviously, the number one ranking still on top of the Purdue Boilermakers until they have another poll come out. Uh, that's in jeopardy after the loss to Rutgers. But I said, you know, one thing to watch with Purdue it's not necessarily the result against Ohio State, but it's the response. How do they respond after getting beat? Uh, you know, is this going to be a team that doesn't have the same level of confidence? Uh, you know, what what type of team are we going to see? And I, I tell you, they passed the test pretty pretty well against Ohio State last night. Yeah, for about 12 minutes, you started to think, okay, well, you know, this isn't going well. Uh, the major concern uh, when we talked to Coach Matt Painter and players on Wednesday was how will they respond? Mainly the younger players, you know, Braden Smith, Fletcher Lawyer, coming off the first loss of their college careers. 
and a game where they just didn't play well. And, uh, you know, it looked like it was going to be a blowout for a while. I think it was 18 to 7 pretty quickly, and then it was 26 to 14 before David Jenkins Jr. hit the three that seemed to kind of ignite uh, what they've been telling us all along, which is that Purdue is a good outside shooting team. And uh, at some point, you know, you get five or six games in a row where you don't shoot well from the outside, you start to say, well, is Purdue really a good outside shooting team? Or do they just believe they are? And um, they, the Boilermakers go on to hit 13 of 23 um, after starting 0 of 8 from 3. So that was definitely huge. Um, that should inspire some confidence. But uh, mainly, you talk about the response and Braden Smith coming off probably his worst game, mm-hmm. had his better games, uh, led the team with 16 points, had six assists, I think two steals and four rebounds, played 38 minutes, which is incredible for a point guard in a Big Ten road game. Uh, that was big. And then uh, Fletcher Lawyer, uh, man, the kid just has some sort of short-term memory uh, because he was 0-6 with four turnovers in the first half, did not start the second half, and um, – Still wants to step up and hit those shots in the big moments and, and does it like it's the you know, the first two minutes of the game. Uh, there's two games in a row now where he's hit a big shot uh, in the closing moments. Uh, I know that Rutgers responded, but uh, maybe the best thing that came out of that was you get an identical scenario the next game where Lawyer hits the three and you've got to make a defensive stop. Last game, there's a miscommunication. Uh, there's a, you know, a missed assignment on a switch, and Rutgers gets an open look to win the game. At Ohio State, that was not the case. The defense formed the shooter, and uh, Ohio State had to basically heave up a desperation throw, um, falling away from the basket at the end of the game. So I think that is the great thing that came out of this was, uh, you know, the Rutgers loss can be a good thing if Purdue learns from it and um, doesn't make the same mistakes. And that, uh, other than turnovers, seemed to be the case at Ohio State last night. I thought the response to being benched to start the second half was perfect for Fletcher Lawyer, but that is also very unique. And when we talk about, you know, Purdue and Matt Painter and making a bold decision like that in a big road game to sit a guy that you know you need to count on and uh, hope that the message is well received. And I I saw what you wrote about the win-win with Jenkins and Lawyer kind of uh, flip-flopping roles in that second half. But does that situation happen because of the player or because of the culture that the players accept that type of, of i guess the only only word you can call it is discipline yeah uh i think that especially with the success that this team has had uh the players trust that the coaches are making the right decisions and um credit fletcher lawyer um you know he's only a freshman but he took that in stride and said okay if i'm going to be on the bench i'm going to be the best you know teammate I can from this role, and he was rooting for David Jenkins to go out there and shoot the lights out, and if he didn't go back into the game because David Jenkins was leading the team to a win, he was fine with it. Um, That wasn't going to be the case. He was going to come back in at some point, but um, just for him to kind of accept that and then come in with the confidence that he did to keep shooting uh, was was very impressive. Um, I think Jenkins said after the game, if you didn't know anything about Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer, you would not believe that they are freshmen playing their first season of Big Ten basketball because they just have a confidence about them. That's probably why they were number one and two for Mr. Basketball last year. Um, they have been a big boost and obviously starters since the day they walked onto campus. So that is, you know, those two are probably, other than Zach Eady, the main reason that this team is, is currently ranked number one in the country. 
I know the competition is always a little stiffer once you get into the regular Big Ten play, but Zach Eady, uh, has there been a, a, a blueprint put out there on how to attack Zach Eady and force, I, I don't want to say take him out of the game because he's always going to be a part of the game. Um, you can't take him out completely. But is there some type of a blueprint that you're seeing as far as a consistent way teams are now playing Zach Eady to try to limit the type of effectiveness he can have? Well, I think you saw it at Nebraska. Uh, I thought that Nebraska defended him very well and kind of did, like you said, lay out that blueprint like this is how you have to defend him because he's seven foot four, he's 300 pounds. Uh, he's definitely a force. Uh, and, and Nebraska did a great job on him. But, uh, you know, I think if Purdue's going to hit shots like it did last night, you're in trouble. And that's kind of the hope and the reason this team is constructed the way it is. Uh, they have four guys on the floor that they can't think can hit outside shots, and you've got a seven-foot-four guy that's going to draw double teams inside. If you want to double-team Zach Eady, he's going to kick it back out. And that was a big thing that uh, Matt Painter said after the game yesterday that everybody thinks your best player has to take the last shot, and that's not necessarily the case. Your best player has to make the right play in winning time, and the right play was to kick it back out to Lawyer, who was wide open with two defenders on him. So credit Zach Eady for not forcing up a shot there. He you know, got it back out to the open man, and uh, it's kind of strange that we're sitting here looking at Zach Eady's stat line with 16 points and 11 rebounds and saying Ohio State did a great <laughs> job against him. But... Uh, you know, when you're going out and you're averaging for a while 25 and 15 or whatever it was, um, it kind of becomes expected. So when he does get 16 and 11, you're just kind of like, eh, you know, we thought, you know, that's probably about where he would fall in line. Um, but, you know, if Purdue can hit shots and uh, continue to get that from Zach Eady, this is a team that uh, really is going to do some damage in the Big Ten. Is Purdue a good enough defensive team to truly deserve that number one ranking? Well, I think that um, even though Purdue lost against Rutgers, going back and watching that, I think that Purdue defended them pretty well. Rutgers hit some tough shots. Um, you know, the, the play at the end obviously was a miscue, but uh, for the most part, Rutgers was hitting some tough twos. I felt like Ohio State hit some tough shots yesterday, and Bryce Sensiball, just a freshman himself, uh, he's phenomenal. Matt Pinner compared him kind of to Glenn Robinson and the way that he plays and how he uses his body and kind of gets his shot. And he had 21 points, and, uh, you know, Matt Painter was, was happy with the way they defended him, especially late. So um, I think that they're just going to get better defensively. They're probably not as good defensively all around as they've been uh, in some of the other years where they've had some stellar teams. But uh, Ethan Morton's kind of known now as the defensive stopper, and, you know, he's not on the level of a Chris Kramer per se, but uh, he does a pretty good job of staying on his man and, uh, limiting him the best he can. And then uh, a lot of the guys that come in off the bench, they know I have to be active defensively first and then, you know, look to score second. So um, that's always going to be the mantra there. Clearly there's, you know, things that need to be cleaned up, but I think that defensively they're going to be fine. Uh, and I think that offensively, especially if, if those shots continue to fall, it's going to be a team that uh, should score 70 to 80 points pretty consistently. And, and you expect to win when you put that kind of point total up. Big game coming up on Sunday as the Boilermakers will visit old friend Micah Shrewsbury and the Penn State Nittany Lions. Penn State's always tough at home. And uh, I'll tell you, a coach has them playing well at Penn State. They got that win over Iowa last week. 
Uh, if Purdue is able to go on the road and win another road game in the Big Ten back-to-back before the polls come out, are they still the number one team in the country, or is is that already been passed? Uh, I think that, you know, I'm not a voter, but I, I assume that voters probably look at it and say, well, they lost, now we've got to move up another team. Um, I don't know. It's, I, I would be shocked if they dropped out of the top three or four but uh, I do not think Purdue will probably be number one next week. But uh, that said, I think the loss to Rutgers was a good thing if Purdue learns from it and responds like it did last night, and that continues. I really thought, especially once Purdue got through that stretch um, going into winter break where you play some um, lesser-quality teams and kind of get ready for the, the Big Ten season, I really thought that Purdue's first loss would come either last night or at Penn State and possibly both. And losing to Rutgers, you know, though unexpected, um, seemed to kind of light a fire under these guys where they said, listen, we know we have a team that can win the Big Ten championship, but we can't do that if we're losing consecutive games. You've got to, you know, you're going to lose probably three or four um, and, and still be near the top of the standings or have a chance to win the league, but you can't afford to lose multiple games in a week and win a Big Ten championship. Sounds great, Sam. Great stuff today. Really enjoyed talking to you, and I hope we get a chance to do it again sometime soon. Absolutely. Anytime. Thanks, guys. Yep, Appreciate it. Sam King, Lafayette Journal and Courier is uh, the guy that joined us here on the Masters Heating and Cooling Hotline. Uh, really good. I mean, we've always kind of been looking for guys that we can go to for Purdue because there's 8 million people that cover the Indiana Hoosiers and there's like three that cover the Boilermakers. I don't know why it is that that way, but it just seems like it right at, I mean, when we go, yeah, who's really on the inside with the Boilermakers, we want somebody that's getting the true inside story. And we saw this morning, I saw that Sam wrote a story about the uh, situation with Fletcher Lawyer being benched to start the second mm-hmm. half, and I thought, there it is. That's the type of story, that's the type of insight we want to get on this program. So great stuff. Oh, yeah. Sam King joining the Sports Rush on the Masters Heating and Cooling Hotline. Still plenty to talk about. Pacers back at home tonight. Colts back at home, if anyone cares, on Sunday. <laughs> Kent Sterling, you'll be joining the show coming up in our second hour. And we've got NFL picks. It's all coming up. It is your Friday edition of the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.